Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Okay, welcome back, uh, all the listeners out there who've stuck with us so far. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you listening. Uh, we just kind of uh, finished up uh, talking a little bit about Jesus. We're definitely going to be coming back to him uh, a lot more, uh, diving into him some more. We just finished up his parables, but we wanted to switch gears very briefly um, and talk about church, talk about church culture, the core values of a church, some of the de- different denominations that are out there. Um, I know we've kind of... Um, Uh, hammered on getting involved in a church, getting plugged into that community. But if you've never been before and you're looking at all the different types of churches out there, that can be a little daunting, and especially if you don't know where to begin. So uh, we're going to take a a quick episode here and uh, kind of tackle some of those questions. So um, hey, Robert. Hey, Zach. uh, Thanks for being here again tonight. Uh, We appreciate it. But uh, yeah, let's um, um, let's let's talk uh, church culture and church life. Uh, where where would someone even begin uh, getting plugged into a church and choosing a church? Okay, um, so really quick, one thing that I want to I want to preference here, you know, um, when looking for a church, a very 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 important thing that you always have to keep in mind is that church full of people and the reason why i say that is because a lot of times we look for an excuse not involved with a church and you know i mean i've heard it you know time and time i've heard it from believers seasoned believers um new babes in christ people who are just kind of kicking the tires it's like man you know i love jesus but man the church the church the church you know the it, would, it would be such a better place if there weren't all these people around no. yeah and and the the thing about that is the church is full of people and with that being said there is no person for jesus that's perfect. There is no church that is perfect. Um, I'm going to go through a list of things that are, are that you know, like what you need for a good church, so that you can identify a good church. But that isn't to say that there's not going to be some issues because there's people involved. And Lord knows, there's people involved. We are going to get selfish. We're going to jack things up. We're going to become more focused on our preferences than what's than what we should. No, we're going to get focused on bureaucracy. We're going to get focused on you know my kingdom versus your kingdom, and that's not how it should be. 
So I just want to preference that is because there's time and time again we get caught up in that. Like yeah, the church is filled of God God's people and we're all jacked up. We are all jacked up. I'm jacked up. Robert's jacked up. He'll tell you himself. I mean, there's not a single person who's arrived who's got it all figured out and then you know you do have people there that are self-righteous you know but still that's 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 unfortunately they're they're there and that's just the reality of it but the question is what is the purpose of the church the purpose of the church is to worship god not to look at your neighbor and go hey look that guy's a hypocrite. Or, hey, look, that person's doing this. Hey, look, I can justify my own actions and my own sins. That's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to love God, and then to minister and evangelize the world. So, going into kind of like the list here of things that if you're looking for a good church, these are criterias you need to have on a sheet of paper and if you could imagine like if you imagine a train to speak um and the engine is these things first and foremost is a gospel-centered bible-believing church it's important to ask that question because that is where you will learn you know the basics of the faith. You know, we talk about Christianity. We talk about, in, in this podcast, we talk about the core values of Christianity. Well, the core values of Christianity are based in Scripture. You may, like, take terms that aren't in Scripture, like the Trinity may not be, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but the concept of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are definitely there. Um, and they're three distinct persons, yet one in essence. Theological statement that's backed by Scripture, and that's one of the keystones of a good church. Does it preach the Word of God? Does it teach the Word of God? In other words, does it help equip you to evangelize um, your neighbors and um, people in your life, in your spectrum? See, for the longest time, a, a lot of churches get in, caught up in this, and it's like, hey, let me just invite you to church. And that's that's all I'm supposed to do. That that's my job. That's you know what I'm I'm supposed to do as a good Christian. And then the pastor's job is to preach the gospel. When in reality, the truth of it is, the pastor is supposed to equip you, you individual. To share the gospel in your circle. That's important because pastor can't do it all. So, if he can't do it all, why should he try? The reality of it is, he needs to pour into the people that stand up and say, hey, I want to be a believer. I want to, uh, I want to grow in my faith. I want to share my faith. I want to articulate my faith. That is another mark of a good church. So first off, of course, is reading and the beliefs of God's Word, what he says in Scripture. Second is the pastor is willing to teach, live it, to teach it, 
And also, you know, I mean, of course, he's supposed to preach, but he's also encouraging you and guiding you to be involved in your community. I feel like oftentimes uh, churches are, you know, they the God's people go to church and there's like, they just draw up this, this uh, if you imagine a castle, it's like a drawbridge that the, the people of the church go into the church and they raise the bridge and they have no impact on society. They have no impact on the community. Um, and that is something that we should not do. We need to be involved in our communities. We need to be involved um, in those things. Like, you know, if you have the opportunity to be involved in a, uh, a, a book club or something like that to where you can spread your influence, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, heaven forbid you read like, you know, fantasy book or something like that and, you know, be able to talk to someone about it and be able to bridge the gap and say, hey, let me, you know, that's an interesting topic that this author brings up. It reminds me of this teaching by this guy named Jesus. You know, like how, how to bridge that gap. And a good church helps bridge that gap. And then also, what do they do uh, globally? What do they impact globally? You know, do they serve just the community, but or do they also serve like the nation and all and beyond, you know, is it just, you know, we're all just sitting in a church, singing hymns, collecting our tithes and our offerings, and then we're not even doing anything with those, or are we actually taking those monies, applying them in, a, you know, in a sacrificial way to further God's kingdom? A good mark of a church is they're involved in their community and they're involved in the world. You know, they support missionaries, they support mission groups, um, various things of that nature. So, there's that. And then, foremost, with all of those things also in, in mind, um, you have um, sort of like the, um, kind of like the secondary issues. Like, you know, you notice how focused on what what the gospel is that's the main focus um and then there the outreach in the community and then the outreach of into the world because that is the great um two commands to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength if you're reading the word if you're reading the scripture you're loving god with your mind you're worshiping him with your mind um if you're involved in your community being a light to your community loving your neighbor and then if you're in, you know you're being involved in you know um, your nation you know missions in you know America or wherever you are then you're also involved globally that's still your neighbors it's like distant neighbors you know so that's the two commands that God said that all of Christianity hinges on love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself so those core things are what should drive us should be our engine for looking for a good church the um secondary things that we have are our preferences you know and that is you know the type of music that you listen to you know if it's contemporary if it's southern gospel 
you know, these are things that should not be the main focus of why we go to a church or not. It, it, it's there's nothing wrong with having a preference for music, but do not sacrifice biblical theology. Do not sacrifice chance to be in a good church just because they don't play the music that you listen to you know or they don't read a translation that you prefer you know me personally i read the esv and the holman christian standard bible those are probably the two translations i use the most you know now is it a deal breaker if someone comes up to the church that i attend and they each from the King James version, you know, no, it's not a, it's not a deal breaker for me. If they, if someone w- walked up to that church and and you know started preaching from that scripture, that Bible uh, translation, you know, might be a little bit harder to understand because it's Elizabethan English. But hey, it's God's word; it's still valid; it's still you know still works. So again, your preferences should be secondary, and you should be willing. You set those aside if, like, let's say, find a church that let's, they're contemporary in their music, but their theology is all over the place. Like, they, like, you know, they don't think Jesus is God. <laughs> Hello? That's, that's a deal breaker that you don't go to that church. <laughs> I mean, they might have a great, awesome worship service, but if they're not, you know, teaching you to love God and to worship God, that's a deal breaker, you know? I mean, that's it's kind of like the gauge of whether or not this place is a good place or a good fit. It's not based upon, don't put your preferences of the engine. Don't put your preferences above what the Bible teaches, what this congregation, what this pastor is teaching. If he's teaching solid theology, if he's teaching solid scripture, if he's teaching solid how to love your wife better, how to love your husband better, how to, you know, be a a light in your community. They don't really cater to your type of music. You know what? Still go to that church because, you know what, you might actually grow from it and you might actually learn to love it. It may not be your preference necessarily, but at the same time, preferences are secondary. So they're not valid, but they're secondary. Their primary focus is the gospel, and that should always be a determining factor of what is a good church versus a bad church. Because if you focus on your secondary issues, secondary preferences, um, as the main vehicle, you're going to get led astray into things that don't even jive with what Christianity is about. And then next thing you know, you're going to be confused. And if you're not confused, the people who come behind you, that you influence, whether it be your family, your children, whatever, they're going to be confused. And so to keep confusion down to a minimum, you find a church that is as focuses on God's Word and you know wants you to be an impact in your community, both locally and globally. Good stuff. Uh, one thing I would add to that, just before we move into the next section of it, on what's been said so far uh zach did a phenomenal job summarizing you know what comprises a healthy church and one thing i would kind of add to that just just to put one more brick in the wall is uh, and it kind of summarizes everything that's been said so i won't be on it long but a church that's very very clear about what's expected of its membership very yeah. certain of what exactly a member is 
um, you know, both of us have heard horror story after horror story of churches that have actually considered membership to simply be adding their name and information to a role. And then when it's time to look through those, those membership roles, they're just long lists collecting dust. Some of those names of which have actually passed away, others being people who attended once or twice many, many years ago, and then others who came to the church to receive baptism never returned. That will actually bog a church down very quickly because it encourages people not to be committed to any of the things that Zach mentioned. That'll make a church very, very bloated and unhealthy very fast. Amen. And I hmm, I almost don't know whether to, to bring up... Um, kind of this question um and i can definitely delete this whole segment if we don't even want to get into this but um we've all seen especially online you hear a lot of press you see a lot of things around some of these mega churches some of these televangelists who are out there and they preach a very they preach a very kind of sterilized message where it's very feel good, very uplifting, but there's really no substance behind it. And these churches, I, I think, can suck a lot of people in um, mm -hmm. because it's it's very, you know, kumbaya. It's very uplifting. You 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 leave that service or you, you hear that message and you're just glowing and you're just radiant because, um, you know, the message that they preach. But there's really no there's really no conviction. There's really no challenging you to grow. Um, how do people avoid the traps of some of these? I'm not going to call them scams, but I mean, some of them are, but some of these, you know, mega churches where, you know, you've got the, the pastor with the Maserati and the $100,000 Rolex and the, you know, the $5,000 suit and, and is just preaching just kind of this fluff, um, but really no substance. Well, I would, uh, first off, one thing that comes to my mind is um, kind of like going back to, you know, what what is what does the scripture teach? Um, and a lot of times, especially um, pastors and things like that in these mega churches. And again, and just to be clear, a mega church doesn't necessarily mean a bad church. Oh, yeah, um, exactly. There are, yeah. There, are, there, are, there are tiny churches that are so uh, racist won't allow people of different ethnicities and things like that there are tiny church that they're focused on basically like their own family and that's all they're focused on a small church so i mean the size itself doesn't necessarily um mean uh her heresy or uh, a bad church or a good church um but i would say nine times out of ten it's the substance of what's talked about um and and the reality of it is is it's a lot christian life is not easy it's simple it's simple to become a christian it's simple to believe in those things but christian life is not easy it's the hardest thing you can it is to die every day 
to your wants and your ambitions and things like that and to ask the question, is this what God wants me to do? Um, and so I would say, one, the substance of what's talked about, if you walk away from a church, like church service, and they're only wanting you to focus on your best life now, they're only wanting you to focus on, you know, giving to the church so that, you know, that they can then, God can then multiply the seed that you give and then, you know, you'll receive that seed back a hundredfold, whatever, you know, I mean, that's prosperity gospel right there. The reality of it is those things are uh, not in scripture. I mean, yes, God does bless people financially, but he blesses people so that he can, so that you can then, be a part of God's ministry so that you can then contribute to God's ministry. There's people who are caught up in sex trafficking. There's people who's caught up in all these different areas of life that God can use regular people to help get them out of those situations and out of those circumstances. And and if you don't, and if the church at you might be, you know, visiting or whatever doesn't focus on the full extent of the gospel, and you're missing part of it because Christianity is not easy. It's not simple. Well, you know, it is simple, but it's not easy. And and the reality of it is, is you have to die to your wants. Mm-hmm. You know, your best life now might be suffering right now. You know, God calls some people to suffer. I mean, there's people out there who have. You know they have cancer, and and it might be that they're going to suffer and die, and and they might have a huge impact of the people around him around them because hey, you know yes this temporal body has got cancer, but man I'm looking I'm looking to the the world the life beyond this that an everlasting body that won't wither like this and have that uh, vision and like would really make a huge impact. But some people would say, "Oh, that's you've, you've done something wrong." Not necessarily. Now, I mean, there's there's always a chance that you have sinned and and there's something happening because of a direct result of your sin. You know, a good example of that is like David with Bathsheba. David commits adultery and he pays the consequences for his actions. Sometimes God allows us to pay the consequences to our actions, but you know we don't feel the, the eternal repercussions of that because we're believers of Jesus. But um, just to kind of land that plane and and to kind of bring it back to the situation at hand, feel like nine times out of ten, if a, if a church has an unhealthy perspective, it will talk largely of best life now without repercussions or or even presenting uh the fact that you know God might call you to something hard and something that you need to just endure you know, like in other words like um appeals to your emotions in a positive way but doesn't really count include the whole counsel of God's word i feel like that's probably the best way to summarize all of what I said. Mm-hmm. Robert might have something else. <laughs> um, to kind of take the, the quick approach to this one so we can move on. But for those out there who uh, 
not be necessarily sold on the gospel, naturally you'd be asking, you know, what would be the harm in going to a church that wants to lift me up? Why would I want to chase after a church that wants to browbeat me into the ground? And I would simply say, now in previous episodes, we've been talking about the fact that there are controversial sides to the faith. The good news is counteracted by the bad news. If there is no bad news, then there's obviously no good news to be had. But um, I would simply say for people out there to, to think about, if you have two messages, two explanations of something, and one of them is very offensive to just about everybody, and is something that caters to everybody, you can be pretty sure that the one that's offensive is the truth. Because if someone's going to sugarcoat something or make something up, they're going to do the thing that's the, considered the most winsome to a, a culture. So it's the offensive one that is most definitely the true one because you can guarantee that it's the uncensored truth without trying to appeal to people's emotional sides. Having said that, um, a couple of a piece of a, pieces of advice that I've actually gotten I think would be good to pass on is one, I've actually heard that if you go to church, and I mean one particular church for about two or three months, and you haven't ever heard this pastor mention sin or hell or anything that you would consider controversial, or even if he only preaches out of the Old Testament. If you've gone to a church for two or three months and he only preaches out of the Old Testament without indicating without indicating that he's focusing in on a sermon series or something, if that seems like something that uh, just goes on all the time, I've actually heard... It's very important to watch out for that because it's actually a trend among many who uh, want to preach only the happy and bright side that will win them as much popularity as possible is they'll focus a little too much on the Old Testament without ever, I mean literally ever, touching the New Testament. Because there are some promises God makes to Israel. In context, it's only to Israel. These preachers want to try to apply these promises to the entire church. The New Testament, which talks about the Christian church, that's the testament that talks about the need to suffer, the need to try to carry your own cross. So I've heard that um, any any message that you hear focuses too heavily on the Old Testament for too long, completely ignoring the New, that is a church that you might want to uh, think twice about consider uh, whether it's time to move on to a church that's going to be willing to talk about the other side of the fence as well. And just, um, and I think everybody um, knows what you mean, but just for clarification, if if someone completely new uh, to Christianity, um, because the term offensive in today's culture has a very different meaning than I think what you meant by it, uh, Robert. But when you say um, the gospel should offend you or the message should be offensive, um, elaborate more on that because I don't want I don't want any listener to take away of just like oh you're 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 offending somebody or um, I I think what you're meaning is it should convict you on your morals. Like the message speaking should should convict you in your heart or should offend you at your core of your 
you're not on the track you're supposed to be or you need to readjust your life to to be more focused on god or following jesus or yes yeah um no you're totally right um i was a little too vague for the sake of being being quick but uh yeah uh when we talk about being offensive uh, the gospel offending um, what we mean in particular um, are the partic- uh, the particular aspects of the gospel story that will actually come up and challenge you to change your life. The things that could offend people because it demands that they actually assess themselves on a personal level in reaction to the message that they're receiving. It's One thing it's very easy to do is to go to church and receive an uplifting message, the idea that God loves you, which is true. The idea that God, uh, Jesus died for you, focusing simply on the fact that it was out of compassion, which is true. But when we start talking about the need to love your enemies, the need to uh, try to strive for sexual purity, which is a laughing stock in today's culture, the need to try to control your tongue, the need to try to let go of your possessions emotionally. Um, I mean, not hold on to them. These are the things where they start talking about, well, the preacher's in my backyard now. He's digging around, shoving his nose where it doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. These are, and uh, especially <laughs> talking about the idea of hell, and you're talking about a great granny Winston down the street who just rocks in her rocking chair is going <laughs> to hell without Jesus. Well, biblically, the answer is yes, even though that sounds very, very um, intense and unnecessarily cruel without someone understanding the gospel and where it's coming from there. These are the things that uh, will genuinely offend you, but they're necessary parts of the gospel if you want to get all sides of the coin to see the whole picture. Yeah, it's kind of like the 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 concept of, I, I saw a bumper sticker, and, it, and for the sake of um, clarity, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot more to it, but for simplicity, I'll, I'll say it. Um, says the uh, gospel sets you free for or the truth will set you free but first it'll really piss you off and <laughs> and and the reality of it is is <clears throat> being confronted with the fact that you're a sinner and that your designation your your preset destination is not heaven it is actually hell those are offensive um now you can have you can say those truths in a, a tactful way and still be true and still capture the meaning of the gospel without, you know, browbeating someone saying that they're going to hell. But those things are offensive and realizing that, hey, I'm a sinner that needs that needs Jesus just as much as this other guy over here sucks, uh, who, who suffers from whatever, that is offensive. At the same time, it needs to be said because I... I need I need that rebuke to start me down the path of self uh, realization that realize that I need a savior, that I need to repent, that I need uh, God uh, in my life, and that I, I want God to be in my life. I that I, you know, in order to be reconciled to God, I have to have Jesus. I can't I can't love God and not love Jesus because Jesus is God. If I if I claim that I love God but I hate the Son, truth's not in me, and 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 that's and I think that those things you know saying that you can't just love God without Jesus. I mean that you know you 
if you love God, you'll love Jesus. That's offensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's hardcore right there. I mean, and I think that's kind of like in a nutshell what Robert's getting at. And I think oh, yeah. I think those are spot on uh, offensiveness yeah. Uh, examples. <laughs> yeah. And so, Robert, um, just to kind of to to move into our next phase. So, let's say we have a listener. Um, you know, we we've reached them. Um, we we really want to get into church. We really want to start finding finding a church community. Uh, we've got the foundations that Zach laid as to what to look for in a church. But now I'm looking around my community. I see a Catholic. I see Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Lutheran, all of these other, all these different types of churches. And so, what does that all mean? You know, what what should someone do do next when looking at all of these choices? Oh yes, um, I'm excited about this little uh, stretch of explanation. So. Uh, for those out there uh, trying to grasp what the structure of this episode was, Zach went into the spiritually pragmatic part of this, the practical, what you can take to the bank and use. For me, it's more, my, my little segment here is a little more explanation for those who out, out there who, they get that Christianity is one faith, but they look at the church in general and they see anything but unity. And so they, they actually get a little... Uh, confused about why there are so many denominations out there and what they mean and what the point of it all is. If they're supposed to choose and stick to one particular church and there are all these different churches to choose from, um, for one, how can they be sure it's a Christian church? What exactly are these places? What if I stumble into something that's uh, teaching some kind of bizarre falsehood? Uh, I mean, honestly, and it's going to sound like I'm telling a joke, it's sarcastic, but I mean it's dead serious in a way. I mean, you are one um, accidental yes. I'll join this one yes away from accidentally becoming part of the next David Koresh group. And I mean, in a culture that's so confused religiously, it's really important to get this kind of clarity. Uh, what what is that group that sings you know songs down the street? Who is, who are those people across the street in that building over there? And so the idea of denominations, when it comes down to it, when I say denominations, just to be crystal clear, I'm talking about those churches that are genuinely Christian by definition. Um, they they obviously don't fall into anything outside of that. A Buddhism, Buddhist, Hindu, uh, Islamic. Um, none of these, yeah, Wiccan, um, none of these others, then, and uh, not only do they claim to be Christian, but uh, they don't fall into, and narrowing it down further, they don't fall into the categories of cults. Um, cult sounds almost like an insult. The definition of a cult, especially in the Christian vernacular, as opposed to a world religion, a cult is a group that does not claim to be anything outside Christianity. They won't claim to be Buddhist or Hindu or Islamic or Wiccan. They will claim to be Christian. But when you look at what they really believe, and I'm talking about the very heart of what they believe, these are not little second-hand opinionated pieces. These are very things at the very heart of their message. It's going to contradict the Christian faith 
in a way that that can't be uh, reconciled with what they teach. They'll tell you that Jesus was something other than God. They'll try to tell you that there are rules to their church you must obey to go to heaven. They'll tell you that the the leader and founder of their group has some kind of special access to God that no one else has. All these things are unbiblical. And the closer you get to the authentic gospel, you can see the counterfeits. So denominations are those very, very narrow groups of churches that are genuinely Christian, preach the genuine gospel, and yet we, we for some reason, on, from the outside looking in, it's look, it looks like we can't get along. Despite all the diversity we've got in the world, we all share the same faith, and yet we still have all these little splits. Now, on one, on one hand, denominations are a good thing. They allow you to worship and do, go about church life the way that your conscience has you know, kind of dictated that this is the way you feel the most comfortable worshiping God as long as it stays within the parameters of biblical faith. But on the other hand, have also risen up simply because of sin. People arguing and bickering over things that don't need to be giving that much attention. Instead of giving all the glory and honor to God, they choose to split over these minor human problems. And so as you go into any church, no matter what the denomination is, literally any one, try to get a feel of which which culture are you going into. Um, it's very possible you could go, and I call I call these this group. You could go into a group full of spiritual racists, people that actually point at other denominations, everyone except their own, as if they're wickedly wrong, less than than this group. They'll look down on everyone as if uh, they'll honestly talk as if these people are going to hell, even if they don't want to say that out loud. They'll have this just smug self-righteousness about themselves because of what they are and what everyone else is. Uh, but then there are those who have genuine convictions. And what I mean by that are personal, very strongly held opinions of what a church should be focused on and doing and what the certain rituals of a church should look like. We'll get into that. But they have a genuine love concern and respect for all the denominations that genuinely fall under the kingdom of God. So having said all this, um, spiraling into all this information, I'm sure the people listening are kind of gritting their teeth a little bit, <laughs> covering all this, but to say all of that, I'm just getting into an explanation of what these denominations are all about. Um, other than, of course, uh, because at the very heart of things, we all agree. Otherwise, they're not a Christian denomination. They are some kind of variation from Christianity. Kind of like if, if you imagine, kind of like what this podcast is about. We're, we focus on the core teachings of Christianity, the core doctrines of Christianity. A denomination would adhere to those core doctrines, like Jesus being God and all those things, uh, the Scripture being the Word of God. And that's why we make the, the 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 point of saying, hey, we're not necessarily focused on a denomination ourselves. Yes, we have our own backgrounds and we have our own where we go to church or what have you. But at the same time, we we try to be respectful 
of people of different denominations because we are brothers and sisters. You know, we might disagree on God's will versus free will, but if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're a brother or a sister. You know, what ha or whatever your translation is, you know, what which one you prefer is if you read the scripture and you, and you you know you believe Jesus, then you're a brother or sister, regardless of what translation you're reading. Exactly, <clears throat> exactly. Um, and so going into this, uh, to make it very simple, I've uh, put a little mini list of just three things that uh, can define a denomination as opposed to others. Um, basically, uh, what happened over time. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead, went up to heaven, and handed his message over to the apostles. So over these last 2,000 years, people have believed their preaching, have put their faith in Christ genuinely. When they open up his word and look at certain aspects of it, um, what does baptism look like? Um, what does a church look like on a weekly basis? What does it look like to obey him in certain areas? What day should we worship on? What time of day? Uh, different believers have actually had different opinions on these things. Uh, what you would call secondary issues, things that don't touch the faith, and yet they have everything to do with the practice of it, small practicalities. That's one in, uh, misconception people might have about the faith of uh, Christianity is no, some people have this idea that if you become a Christian, you lose the freedom to think. You're spoon-fed what to believe, and that's definitely not true. We have certain things that we hold to, but we have the freedom to think through uh, certain aspects of our faith and come to different opinions about uh, certain things that aren't completely set in stone, black and white, for all of us. Now, the first thing on that list of three are secondary doctrines. Um, these are things I've already covered, so I've pretty much already been leading up to it. Uh, denominations disagree about what baptism looks like. Uh, the Baptist denomination is named for that simply because they believe baptism is only for adults. Um, they believe that it's something that happens after you come to faith. Other denominations disagree. It's baptism still in the name of the same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are many denominations that will still baptize infants because they consider it more like church membership. This baby is being imparted by the parents into the church membership in order to be grown spiritually in the faith. And I'm not going to just chase rabbits with all these examples, but that's basically the first one is these different side issues I encourage anybody to read up on it study it from scripture come to your own opinion simply join a denomination that agrees with where your convictions lie on that second thing on the list is church organization now it's one thing for Jesus to command us all to get together that's fantastic but go to any family reunion you know that the simple task of us getting together Human beings being in one spot, as Zach opened up with, it immediately gets messy in its very DNA. Personalities bumping against each other, different opinions coming against each other. More outspoken people running over the less outspoken people without meaning to. 
the whole thing kind of runs awry. And so the question is, if we're going to exist as a church, if we are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this modern world, what does the church actually look like in its outward function? So there are churches across the spectrum. There are things called congregationalist. That's a movement that includes the Baptist denomination again, where each individual church, I mean each individual little congregation of people in a local setting, believe that they alone have the final say over their own decisions. Then there are those like the Presbyterian Church, their name actually comes from a Supreme Council. It's kind of like a, a court of elders that govern the entire denomination. They will get together. They will make very primary decisions, and those decisions will filter down to the Presbyterian denomination uh, congregations in the local churches. So you have all the, these different ideas of structure. The Catholic Church is, if you want to go get, uh, call it that, you can call them the, the king of hierarchy. The ones they believe that the very top of their organization is the Pope, who is the literal embodiment of God's word upon the earth. They believe that that title was passed down through Simon Peter to the modern Pope. He has his cardinals. The cardinals are over the priests, and the priests are given uh, diocese, which are sections of land or uh, human population where the, the local Catholic churches reside. So it filters down almost like an organization with a CEO uh, down to the local priest sitting in the local pews. Uh, and the, so there's this whole great big, uh, this great spectrum of organization depending on how loose or how rigid you believe that it should be structured. Uh, the Methodist Church, it, the word method is in their name literally because their founder believed that it honored God to have a strict method to the worship. He believed if it, if it was too loose, and too free to be uh, ad-libbed or twisted in a certain way, it was actually dishonoring to God in his view. So he thought it was important to structure this out with a method so that they were able to go into a service knowing exactly what would be anticipated. Well, kind of like if you imagine, like... They were leaving room for the Holy Spirit to be able to move, whereas like <clears throat> something that was more liturgical and set in stone, like you couldn't have that that freedom to kind of like in the in the right way, I guess you could say, where go where the Spirit leads, and and the Methodists kind of had that that um, that really deep down focus. We're gonna go A B C. A, B, C, and that's across their entire denomination, whereas something a different denomination might be more free. Like, they might have a plan in place. With, okay, we're going to sing these songs, and, you know, and the pastor's going to preach this message, and the Sunday school curriculum is going to be based on this. But how you get there, there's going to be a little bit of freedom, too. Mm -hmm. And so we've gone through secondary doctrine um, to organization, and finally, the thing that wraps up a denomination, of, honestly, the thing that's the most sentimental, and so therefore, technically, in a way, possibly the most emotional, are the traditions. And it's that set apart from organization, because organization, the second thing on my list, was mainly about church government. Who makes the choices? How do those choices get communicated? 
the the, the random uh, believer in the pew. And so tradition, the last one on the list, actually with the heart of the faith. These are the, uh, and by the faith, I mean that particular denomination's faith. Obviously, the founder of the faith is Jesus, the Son of God. But certain denominations, they actually have famous names that are revered within their churches as having been someone uh, as part of that denomination who had uh, much to do with the work of God. It's kind of like um, a school, high school or college with a very, very famous graduate and they actually love to uh, have a little display in honor of that famous influential person who once attended the school. So you'll have these stories of people who are actually respected and revered throughout all Christianity, but if it was known that he he or she was part of that particular denomination, then they would uh, be very proud to kind of present this person forward as kind of uh, a hero of the faith. Just uh, not not as a form of idolatry if they're healthy, but just as a point of you know celebrating what God had done through that person as a part of this tiny group. Um, I know Billy Graham was most definitely a part of the Presbyterian Church. His entire family was. So the Presbyterians they just love to consider Billy Graham one of their own, even though all Christians consider him one of their own because of his willingness to be so flexible in the faith as long as it was about Jesus. Uh, The Methodist Church were actually founded by a pair of brothers, John and Charles Wesley. John was one of the greatest preachers of all time. Brother Charles wrote so many hymns, you've definitely heard many of his songs, maybe not even realizing it. Um, One quick example, the Christmas Carol, as we record this, it's just before Christmas time. Christmas Carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing is Charles Wesley. And so these these brothers are greatly loved and revered within the Methodist Church. Presbyterians link themselves to a very, very influential preacher from Switzerland named uh, John Calvin. And he actually helped to revive a city in Switzerland named Geneva that became a hotspot for Bible teaching. And so all these people, all these names, all these programs that are associated with the denominations, they're loved and held up by the people who are part of it. It makes you part of a group in, in a way of, uh, it's one thing to say that, you know, we're all part of the kingdom of God. We all have our own little cultures within it. To be a part of a particular culture, just to be able to say that this is the little stake that I've put my flag down in, I know the lingo, I know, you know, the holidays that we celebrate that's only ours. Um, I know the little seasons of the year that this one particular denomination celebrates. Uh, for example, uh, this very month, the Baptist denomination uh, so, uh, gathers Lottie Moon, the Lottie Moon offering in honor of a Baptist-affiliated missionary named Lottie Moon who gave her life to give, her, uh, give people in China a chance to believe. And so all these things kind of wrap up into this culture to give yourself something of an identity within the kingdom of God. Secondary doctrines, uh, the organization of the church, and the traditions that you grow up within it. So that's kind of like the, the the three stable points of denominations. And, you know, obviously there's, there's some... Uh, services that um, are 
you know, like how Robert talked about, they were so they're very methodical, and then you have others that are are so free that they have, you know, um, basically no. Um, I don't want to say filter, but they have no like uh, set in stone way of going about things. They might preach the sermon a little bit, and they might have a few songs, but then the focus of it is on like displays of faith and things like that. And um, it's kind of follows the uh, sort of Pentecostal movement that really focuses a lot of uh, um, teachings such as uh, speaking in tongues and things of that nature. Um, uh, again, that that would be they still adhere to the core doctrines of Christianity, but as far as like some of the secondary issues, like you know, the gifts of the Spirit, what exactly does that mean? What does that look like? So they they kind of take a different stance on those things. Real quick, um, I know we're kind of getting um, close to time, but I wanted to ask both of you. A, a question. Uh, actually, I have two. Second. Hang on, just one second. Sorry, Robert's Robert's not in the room at the moment. Okay. Edit this part out. Yeah, sorry, Brian. As soon as I finished talking, I had to make a very quick pit stop. And give no it worries. Back. No worries at all. Um, but I did have two questions, and um, I'll pose it to either of you. Um, the first question would be, I know we've talked a lot about kind of the core beliefs, like whatever church you go to, kind of um, the core message that, that, they're, that they're preaching. And then we've also talked about some of the different denominations and kind of the way places split over secondary issues, but kind of um, uh, speak to the um, importance of not only, you know, once you join a church, which is a big step for a lot of people, but also joining a small group within that church, whether it's called a small group, Sunday school class, connect group, whatever, whatever that church um calls it kind of the importance of being plugged in with, with a smaller community of, of, of individuals in that class. And also the second question I had, um, and probably Robert, you being an associate pastor and kind of plugged into a church and kind of knowing more of the operational side of a church why do you think churches like some churches kind of die out and by that i mean they they close they kind of shrivel up they 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 close their doors the congregation disbands and and what what makes a church die versus what makes a church thrive and grow um so i'll just kind of quickly pose those two questions um so uh the with the first one uh the importance of uh, a small group the importance of um those things the reason why those things are so important um is because it's really easy um to you know, to look at the church and see the hypocrisy see the the um uh the uh sin and, and things of that nature it's really easy to see those things 
and say, hey, I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, it's easy to see that. But the problem is there's, you know, before you get caught up in the high horse of hypocrisy, remember, you know, I'm guilty of hypocrisy. We're all guilty of hypocrisy. Um, so that that's not reason enough to not join a church just because it's full of people. Um, I might be, you might be wanted to be careful about who you open up to about your 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 life and things like that. And that's the supposed to be the function of like the small group. You know, you don't go, you don't give your Sunday, you know, wash, you know, all the things you got going on, you know, uh, the the issues that you have in your life necessarily to the whole congregation but with a small group you know a, a group of guys you know that hold each other accountable and say hey look you know struggling in, in this area in my life or you know I'm, I'm struggling with these thoughts i'm struggling with these things it's a whole lot easier to link arms with other men that will help hold you accountable and help hold you the standard of 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 godliness that uh, that you desire, but sometimes uh, the temptation of sin uh, kind of snares our attention, and we focus on the immediate gratification instead of the long-term sacrifice. So the the, the need for a smaller community uh, again use discernment about how much you share and and things of that nature. But when it comes to helping you through those life issues that come about it's kind of like the purpose of the small group that is for us to link arms with other brothers other sisters you know because there's ladies groups out there too you know or married couples because of that nature you know there's groups all kinds of groups out there um and that's the the importance of those things so that you don't do life alone i mentioned before in one of the previous episodes whenever you're alone the enemy is easily able to pick you off because you start listening to yourself, you start listening to justifications, you start listening to the world, you start listening to the enemy, and next thing you know, you're in a, on a path you never thought you'd be on because you didn't have people in your life would come alongside you and say, hey, I love you, and you're thinking like an idiot, you need to stop doing that. That's the function of the small group is it's there to kind of help you hey, thinking like an idiot, stop doing that. You're 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 about to you're about to ruin your marriage because of the way you're talking to that other your secretary or whatever, you know. You're about to you're about to have a, a good golly man walk away because you're being too flirtatious with other men, you know, I mean so on and so forth, whatever issues that may arise that you may not necessarily see coming, but having those brothers and sisters who've gone before you and have, you know, ha and walk in the faith, they might be able to help you through those trials and, and uh, tribulations and things of that nature, or even help you avoid certain things, certain things that might uh, hinder your walk. So that's why I would say that the small group, the Sunday school class or what have you is important um, because in the in the congregation, yes, you you learn about scripture. Yes, you learn about uh, importance of, of of God's word and, and you know importance of Jesus and things of like that. It's the small group where you actually are, are in the middle of battle. 
you're actually helping one another achieve uh, whatever said goal is, you know, whether it be purity before marriage, it be purity in marriage, it be faithfulness, it be um, you know, all those other things that could be a possible issue. Explanation. Oh, yeah. Um, Kind of to address the second question after Zach, uh, you know, the importance of, you know, finding a small group was his. It's your community within the church. It's the people you know. This the people who just kind of tie life together for you while you're there. But going into the second one, you asked me specifically kind of as a church politics insider, uh, why do churches break apart and die? And there are a lot of different specific reasons, but what it really boils down to, to kind of connect these two ideas, it's when a church loses sight of everything Zach just explained, a church will die. They will either elevate their own um, preferences about music or worship style, or people will start arguing over um, specifics that used to be, uh, by example, I mean, uh, some uh, yearly event that's no longer necessary. And there are some in the church who remember that event from years ago when it used to be huge and they panic because it's being taken away from them when that that event hasn't had the impact that it's used to have for years now. So when these things start to happen or when people start to bicker and argue, especially over these things, rather than leaning on one another and loving one another, it's when a church really loses sight of its own sense of community and its own sense of mission outside its own walls that a church will slowly start to die. That can usually start with a simple argument, a simple disagreement within the group. It can start with a church split, two different opinions of how worship should be, resulting in two smaller churches that finally kills them both. Ultimately, when it becomes all about you and you're willing to break up over these things, you're not willing to bring new people into the fold because then they would be an additional threat to everything that you've already held dear and honestly idolized above Jesus himself. Because when this idolatry falls into place, you don't want new people in here. They'll take up your seats. They'll change the way things are done. They'll ask for a newer brand of music. Honestly, it could even be from a newer brand to an older brand, and people could still be upset by it. And whenever you start to focus too much on yourself, uh, you start to uh, allow the church to die because you loved yourself more than you loved Christ. And so, um, I mean, I've seen or heard stories about all these things. Uh, people who refuse to allow old grudges to be swept over, people who refuse to forgive people, other people's sins because they want to hold on to the idea that they themselves are right, or even church as an event, and that's dangerous too. Not church as a family or as an organization, or especially an organism under God, but church as an event becomes something that doesn't cater to you the way you remember it or the way you want it to be received by yourself. Like a social country club instead of focusing on the gospel. Exactly. And when those things start to hold sway, that's when a church starts to die. That's when a church refuses to allow small changes in order to reach a community better. 
It's when a, a church refuses to allow these people to grow in unity and love for each other because their opinions are different, and heaven forbid these opinions clash. And so if, if we allow these things to get in the way of Jesus' own vision for the church, because he never said that, you know, they'll they'll know my father sent me because their programs will be absolutely phenomenal. Their Christmas pageants will be spot on. He simply said that they'll know I was sent by the way you love each other. So naturally that's been the great, the ultimate great way that the church's credibility has been shot as it's as story after story of uh, leaders falling into temptation and scandal of uh, members allowing themselves to break apart and die, as I've just been talking about. And so whenever a church crumbles into the dust, that's definitely a point taken away from uh, Christianity in the public eye because they kind of see this idea of this is a uh, church doing everything that it's not supposed to. It's only those who understand what Zach's been talking about, understanding to uh, love the hypocrite, because all sinners are hypocrites. Uh, those are the ones who are able to withstand these kinds of blows and keep a church going in unity. Otherwise, any church can fall apart as soon as human sin takes 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 uh, hold. And the gospel tells us that human sin is universal. So whether two or more are gathered, my name, Jesus said, I'll be there. Wherever two or more are gathered, that's two or more sinners trying to bunk up, buck up against one another and have to lean on the Holy Spirit to prevent these horrible things from occurring. Excellent. That's that's really good stuff. Um, thank you kind of for that insight, because I know there's probably a lot of listeners out there, especially if you're new to a church or even if you're part of a church that's slowly starting to die and, and some people might not fully understand why uh, just because they can't really see what's happening um, due to some of those issues. But um, I know we're getting a little bit uh, close to time here, so I think with that we'll wrap up uh, this episode. Um, thank you, Robert. Thank you, Zach. Um, thank yeah. you. Uh, next you, uh, sure. couple of episodes that uh, we dive into are are we uh, revisiting um, Jesus, kind of going back um, to Jesus, uh, his life? Are we going to dive in maybe to the Old Testament, start kind of digging into some of those prophecies from the Old Testament, some of those um, um, allusions to Jesus as far as uh, um, the, the, the metaphors kind of leading up to, to his arrival? Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm, this is a, a democracy in this little cell here. Um, and I, if we do prophecies of Jesus, that'd be cool. Um, we could either do that or we could do more um, uh, parables. The only thing is, we, we, if we do more parables, some of them kind of overlap, and we've kind of hit, not that we've hit all of them, because there's so many out there, but some of them kind of overlap, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so we could do a couple more parables, or we could just go dive into prophecy, or we can dive into other uh, uh, subjects out there, whichever. Uh, I say, uh, just kind of my my idea thinking on my feet, could touch on some prophecies uh, and even those kind of overlap unless you get really really deep which people might not be ready for over a podcast <laughs> um, I say we could do an episode or two maybe 
but uh, definitely one, maybe two on prophecy. And then we might be able to go into, uh, it's connected, we could go into uh, Old Testament types of Christ. Yeah. And kind of share the story in the past, and how it flashes forward to uh, the story in the New Testament that points to Jesus. And I really want to know your thoughts, kind of, if we if we talk about prophecy or kind of talk about the Old Testament. I've always been interested in uh, McKizeldeck. Am I saying that right? Yeah. 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 But Please. just kind of, he's such an interesting figure. Um, uh, like, is he a Christophany? Like, is he like what? What exactly kind of was was his story? And um, I'm kind of interested to to get uh, your guys' takes on uh, uh, um, that figure because he's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah we could talk great. about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys. Um, thanks to everyone uh, listening. Um, definitely join us uh, for our next few episodes, and uh, we really appreciate everyone out there. So, thank you all. Thanks. Yes. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.